That is how you proactively get in front of other people, in front of more people, rather than hoping that if you just keep putting content into the social media void, one day Instagram's going to show your stuff to people. Welcome to Socialette. I'm your host, Steph Taylor. As a launch strategist and digital marketer, I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way while building a seven-figure online business. If you're an overwhelmed business owner struggling to scale while also keeping your clients happy, this podcast is for you. Join me as I share actionable advice for creating an online business that feels good and brings you so much joy. Are you on the list to get my daily biz boosters? Every day, I'll send you a bite-sized prompt that is designed to help you grow your business in a more intentional way. Sign up at stephtaylor.co slash dbb or at the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome back to Social Let. This is episode 518. Today, I have one jam-packed episode for you because... You all asked me questions in my survey that I recently sent out, and I am answering them today. Well, I'm answering about 20 of them today, and I will do a few other Q&A sessions in the next couple of weeks because I have hundreds of questions from all of you. So if you were somebody who sent in a question, thank you so much. I really appreciate it that you took the time to fill it out. And together we donated well over $500 to the RSPCA. So that's hopefully some happy dogs and cats and other animals over there. All right, let's jump into the questions and starting with quite a nice simple one. What is your daily and weekly routine, distribution of activities, and work-life balance? Okay, I love this question. So I don't have super structured weeks. My Monday mornings are probably the most structured that I have. And every Monday morning, I do payroll, I pay any invoices that need to be paid, and I have a meeting with my ops manager, Jade. That's my Monday mornings. The only other real structure that I have to my week is usually I have one or two launch magic calls per week, depending whether we are in the teaching phase of launch magic or if we are in between uh, launch magic terms, semesters, whatever you want to call them. I also do three podcast episodes a week and three email newsletters a week. Usually the podcast episodes, I try to get them recorded and scheduled ahead of time. And the emails, I write them and send them a little bit more on the fly. So super simple structure there. And then the actual work that I'm dealing with day to day depends on what kind of season we are in at the moment. So at the moment right now, we are in a launch magic teaching season. So I'm a little bit quieter. I'm spending a bit more time on creating content, getting ahead of content. I'm about to head off to Europe for a month. I'll actually, when you hear this episode, I will already be in Europe. (laughs) But at the moment, it's a bit more of a quieter season. Then when I come back, we go back into a launch magic launch. So when we're in a launch, that's usually when I'm a little bit busier getting on top of some launch specific content, focusing a bit more on audience growth, focusing a bit more on showing up. But generally, my focus in the business is on content creation and marketing. So creating podcast episodes, writing and sending emails, uh, if I feel like it showing up on social media, but I don't really do that that much. <laughs> okay, question two. 
How do you keep your audience engaged between launches? This is a great question. So how you do it is going to be specific on how you run your business. In my business, I will send two to three emails per week. I know that sounds like quite a lot and it's more than we have sent in the past, but I'm seeing the biggest ROI from email and I love sending emails. So I'm sending two to three emails per week to keep my audience engaged in between launches. I podcast three times a week. Hello, you're listening to one. I sometimes post on Instagram when I feel like it. Uh, we did have it I did have a copywriter writing Instagram captions and they were consistent three times a week, but I just wasn't loving, I wasn't loving the whole flow of it. And I actually wasn't noticing a great impact on engagement. I've actually found that my audience tends to be more engaged on Instagram when it's me writing and when it's less often, but higher quality when I do show up. And the other thing that I found really helpful with keeping my audience engaged in between launches is surveying. So sending out a survey to my list, which is where I got all of these questions I'm answering today, but it's also where I get a whole bunch of content ideas so I can figure out what to share in between those launches, what content to share in between those launches. Okay, question three, how do I reach more people? Well, the best way to reach people is to figure out where they are. Where are they? And how can we naturally get in front of them? Now, this is such a simple formula, right? Find these people and get in front of them consistently. When I say get in front of them, it needs to be proactive. It cannot be posting to social media and hoping that the algorithms will put you in front of the right people. That is a broken, outdated strategy. So we need to be proactive. And that means pitching podcasts that the right people listen to. It means trying to get media publicity. It means writing guest posts. It means teaching to other people's courses and memberships. That is how you proactively get in front of other people, in front of more people, rather than hoping that if you just keep putting content into the social media void, one day Instagram's going to show your stuff to people. TikTok might be a bit of an exception with the way that the algorithm still works on TikTok, but Instagram, yeah, that's outdated. And this is why I created Boost Your Brand Superfans, which is my course to help you reach more of the right people and fill your audience with them so that when you are launching or that when you are selling your services or your products, you have the right people there to sell to. Uh, and that's the whole premise of Boost Your Brand Superfans is how to grow that audience without just being at the whim of algorithms. If you are interested in growing your audience and reaching more people without spending all of your time on social media, head to stephtaylor.co forward slash BYBS or at the link in the bio to find out more. All right, question four. How many hours per week on an ongoing basis does it take to run an online course? Am I setting myself up to be more busy? All right, so now that Launch Magic is built, I spend maybe one to two hours per week teaching the course. So the course content is now all recorded. And I have Jay, my ops manager, who runs the Facebook group. So really, all I'm spending is time doing the live Q&A sessions, which are one to two hours per week. The first couple of times that I taught Launch Magic, it did take a little bit longer. The first time because I was creating the slides and I was teaching it live. So we had two one and a half hour calls per week. So it was about three hours per week there, plus the time to actually create the content. 
Now, the second time I taught it, it was a little bit easier because the slides were mostly done. I just needed to tweak it. And again, it was just showing up for those live calls. The third time took the longest because I was pre-recording all of the lessons. So after I had taught it live twice, I thought, okay, great. I'm confident enough in this course content. It's been helping people to get amazing results. Now I'm happy to record it and set it in stone. So that one took a bit longer because I had to record each video, but notice how I didn't record the videos until after I had taught it live twice. I knew people wanted it. I knew people would pay money for it. I knew people were getting results from the framework I was teaching. So only then did I feel confident enough to go and invest time into recording it. Uh, so now that it's built, yeah, one to two hours per week. It might be a bit more of a time investment upfront, but in the long term, man, it pays off. I'm so glad I put that time in when I did. All right. Question five. What do you wish you knew when you very first started? I really had to think about this one when I uh, was planning for this episode. So I wish I had known that the power that I wish I'd known that partnerships, collaborations and media are really effective ways to grow your business, grow your brand, grow your authority very quickly. I also wish I'd known that it is so much easier to sell something that solves a very specific problem or delivers a very specific transformation and that if you can't articulate what problem you're solving or what transformation you are delivering, then your customers or your ideal customers aren't going to be able to join the dots either. And this was something that took me a lot longer to figure out than it should have. And it's one of the very first things I like to teach my students is, okay, let's, let's articulate what problem we are solving because then you can tell your ideal customers about it and you can sell that. Uh, so yes, I wish I'd known that a lot earlier. Question number six. How do you choose the format for courses? Like groups with certain start times, evergreen, etc., etc. Okay. This comes back to what do they need from you? Do they need knowledge and are they happy to just take that information and go and work through it on their own? Or do they maybe need a bit more support and accountability along the way? For example, Launch Magic, because it is 12 weeks and because it is a launch is quite a major project in your business, I would never make that self-paced because you need that support from me, you need somebody to answer your questions, and you need that accountability from each other in the Facebook group. So having that set start and end time makes a lot of sense for Launch Magic, especially because all of my students tend to launch around the same time or they all have that date to work towards. And that support of the group that's going through the same kind of mindset struggles, that makes a huge difference. Whereas the podcast launch plan, which is another product of mine, that one is self-paced because I've found that some people want to launch their podcasts like yesterday and then other people are like, oh, this is just something I'm going to chip away at over six months. So giving them that flexibility to work through it at their own pace and also because fewer mindset struggles come up they tend to be a bit more self-motivated to get their podcast out there versus when you are launching a digital product, you can come up against a lot of things that feel really challenging. You can get a lot of what you might think to be signs from the universe that you shouldn't be doing it. You know, like when you like put a post up and nobody likes it and then you're like, oh, who's going to buy my stuff if they're not even liking my posts? All of that mindset muck comes up. Um, so that's why 
I have launch magic in that that sort of structure. Uh, so that is what I would generally recommend is looking at what they need from you the most. Question seven, where should I spend my time and money to get the biggest return? And how do I do this without spending 80 hours a week on it? I would say if I had limited time, completely limited time to run my business, I would start by focusing on my email list. I would spend my time building my email list. So setting up a lead magnet, which is an upfront time investment, but over the long run, it will save you time. So setting up that lead magnet and connecting the dots with a nurture sequence, you can use a tool like HubSpot for that. Uh, and then creating evergreen content to promote that lead magnet. For example, a blog post and then the call to action from that blog post is, hey, download my free digital product kickstart kit uh, or a podcast or a YouTube video. So evergreen content is content that is designed to have a longer lifespan. Typically content like Instagram posts, that's got a pretty short lifespan. But if you are doing a blog post or a podcast or a YouTube video on something that isn't just a relevant topic at this point in time, but that people will still find relevant six months from now, a year from now, that is evergreen content. So then once you've built that email list, then I would focus on making offers to that email list consistently. So consistently selling to that email list. We often build an email list and focus on sharing so much value and then we never sell to that list. So And, and then we wonder why nobody's buying. So you do need to sell to your email list uh, at the same time, I also do share my content to my email list consistently. That doesn't mean every single day, okay? You don't have to share stuff every single day. That's not what consistently means. If you can only commit to one blog post every week or one podcast episode per week, as long as you stick to that cadence consistently, that's fine. Question eight, how do you determine how much time to spend on what activities and how do you know what is a profit-moving activity when there aren't any profits yet. Okay. The second part of your question, how do you know what is a profit moving activity when there aren't any profits yet? This is the risk of business, right? And nothing ventured, nothing gained. Unfortunately, if we were certain that certain activities would create profit, we'd all be doing them, right? So how do we determine that? Well, in my own business, we determine that based on past results. But if you don't have those past results, it's going to be an estimate or a guesstimate at best. And you're going to have to test, commit to, say, a month or six weeks or 12 weeks, depending on the activity, and testing and measuring and and then coming back and seeing, okay, did that move the needle or did that not? And it needs to be something that you can commit to. You know, you need to commit a decent chunk of time and how long you commit will depend on the activity. But you can't just do something for a week and say, oh, that didn't work. Because it's not what happens once, it's what happens consistently over time. It takes that time to build that momentum. Now, how do I determine how much time to spend on what activities? So I tend to be biased towards spending more time on things that will provide long-term results. For example, I will spend more time building an online course than on recording Instagram reels. I will spend more time creating a podcast episode that I know is going to be relevant content for a very long time than I would creating an Instagram caption, for example. I would spend more time um, 
building and preparing for future launches that I would on trying to get clients right now. So being more biased towards things that will pay off in the long term, I think has been one of the biggest reasons or one of the biggest drivers behind my own business's success. Uh, and that's where I would be focusing my time and energy if I were starting out again. Obviously, you do need to spend some time on the short-term activities because you do need to bring in some profit, uh, some income straight away. But if you can make sure that most of your time is on long-term activities, I think you'd be setting yourself up for some really solid growth. Okay, question nine. How do you attract the right audience who are ready to buy? Great question. So for most of our businesses, we're not going to attract people at the stage where they are ready to buy. We are not a supermarket. It's going to take some time for them to know you, like you, and trust you enough to buy from you. And this is something that I really dive into inside Boost Your Brand Superfans, how to share that content that grows your audience and nurtures them to be ready to buy from you because they're not going to be ready to buy from you the first time they land on what you do. Like most people won't be. There's going to be a fair bit of nurturing that has to happen first. And we need to know what what are these things that they need to understand before they will be ready to buy from us. For example, I have a product called the Podcast Launch Plan, and it teaches you how to launch a podcast. And one of the things that people need to know before they'll be ready to hand over their money for the Podcast Launch Plan is that equipment doesn't matter anywhere near as much as your podcast topic does. Without understanding that, they are just going to be Googling What's the best equipment to start a podcast? They're not going to be looking at, okay, what's the strategy behind my podcast? What kind of show should I do? What kind of guests should I get on? Or what kind of topics should I talk about? They're just looking at, oh, I just need a microphone. What's the best microphone? So looking at what do they need to know to be ready to buy? And what hesitations do I need to address? What do I need to answer for them? What questions do they currently have? What's holding them back? from buying. These are all things that once you've attracted the right audience, this is what will get them to be ready to buy. Question 10. Do you hire people to help you with things? How do you do it all? I do have a very small team. We're a little bite-sized team. Uh, and honestly, we don't really do a lot. Like We are not a huge business. We're pretty streamlined and I'm really proud of like this small team that I've built with very small overheads. So to give you an idea of my team, so it's myself. I work probably 30 to 40 hours a week. I don't do a huge number of hours. Uh, I've built a lifestyle business. I'm not in it to spend, you know, every single day working, every single hour of every single day working. Uh, then I have Jay, my ops manager, who is part time. And then I have a VA who is a contractor and various other contractors as and when we need them, like designers and um, copywriters, that kind of thing. I think that one of the reasons why we've been so good with this is that early on, I just worked out where was getting me the best results for my time spent. And I invested that time into the long-term results. I invested time into creating a lead magnet. I invested time into setting up the systems and the technology and the right, I, I bought the right software early on. And I think because we've set it up right, it feels pretty streamlined. Um, but at the same time, there's so much more we could be doing. There's always going to be more that we could be doing. But I think for me, the biggest mindset shift was, hey, you don't have to do all of it and that's okay. 
Okay, question 11. How long did it take you to get into a flow of marketing yourself and growing your audience and your products? So I started marketing and growing my audience as a priority. That's like one of the very first things that I started doing in my business. And while the results were really slow at the start, it has paid massive dividends now. It's it's taken me four years to figure out where the best place to spend my time is. And now I've worked out, okay, great. The best use of my time is these podcast episodes. It's writing emails to my subscribers and it's doing those two launches per year. And in terms of offers, I two years ago, I retired, or more, slightly more than two years ago now, nearly three years ago, I retired all of my courses that I had created and I recreated everything from scratch and created new offers. And I'm still building that out. I don't think I have all of the offers I'm ever going to sell in this business. But that also doesn't mean that it's going to take you four years to do this. That is why I have this podcast to help you to shortcut a lot of those things. That is why Launch Magic exists to help you shortcut the stress and the pain and the all of the stuff that can come up when you're launching. That is why Boost Your Brand Superfans is here to help you to grow your audience quicker through all of the stuff that took me four years to learn. That is why the podcast launch plan exists, right? So my entire business is to help you to market your business and grow your audience and build out that offer suite a lot quicker in hopefully less than four years. (laughs) Okay. Question 12. How much should I give away for free? Great question. Very common question. Now, some people will tell you to give away your best content for free. And I think that kind of, that's often misinterpreted where people think it means, you know, give your audience everything that they need for free. Give them snippets of your paid products. Give them your time for free. But instead, I think we need to be giving them what they need to know to be ready to buy from us, not what they need to know to solve the problem or achieve the transformation that you are delivering in your paid products or your paid services. So they are currently believing a bunch of myths. They're currently making mistakes. They currently have misconceptions about whatever the problem that you solve is or whatever that transformation you deliver is. So the content that you will be sharing with them for free is actually helping them to overcome those myths, those mistakes, and those misconceptions rather than helping them to achieve the transformation. Because as long as they believe those myths, those misconceptions, and they're making those mistakes, they're not going to achieve those transformation or solve that problem. So that's why I think, yeah, myths, mistakes, misconceptions are a great place to start with free content. I dive a lot deeper into this in Launch Magic and in Boost Your Brand Superfans. One from an audience growth perspective in Boost Your Brand Superfans and launch in Launch Magic from the launching perspective. Okay. Question three, how to take a one-on-one or small group offer and make it scalable? Okay. So when you are working with somebody one-on-one or you're working in a small group, I'm guessing you're probably taking them through some kind of process, uh, some kind of step-by-step process with them to help them to solve the problem you're solving for them or achieve the transformation that they are achieving through that small group or that one-on-one with you. Can you take that process and build some kind of framework around it? Obviously, you can't say, well, every single client is going to have the same problem. No. But what is the framework that's going to cover off on like 90% of the people who are going through? What is going to help 90% of those people? And is there a step-by-step process 
that you could take them through and package it up as a course. Or maybe if it's an ongoing thing, maybe it's a membership. And then think about, okay, what else do they need from me so that they can achieve the best result? Is it more information, in which case you might go a bit deeper into the content you're delivering them? Is it support, in which case maybe you do monthly calls with them or weekly calls with them uh, in a group format? Or is it accountability? Maybe in that case, there's a Facebook group where they can keep each other accountable. So figuring out the process that you're taking people through and then helping to package it up in a way that helps them to still get the best result possible. Obviously, it's never going to be the same result that they could achieve if they were working with you one-on-one or even in a small group because the accountability that comes with that one-on-one is unrivaled. And you know, I'm assuming that if they're working with you one-on-one, it's going to be a fairly significant investment, which means that they have more skin in the game. They are more motivated to achieve results. But if we take into account the fact that they don't have that one-on-one accountability, We want to still be able to help them to get that best result possible. Okay, question 14. What are some pros and cons and tips for paid advertising? Great. Okay, some pros of paid advertising are that it's been, for me personally, it's been a great way to grow my business faster. Uh, And also in kind of a lazy way in that I just switch the ads on and it grows my email list. I don't have to be showing up on social media. I don't really have to be doing much now. So that works really well. And I can see the correlation directly between paid ads and increase in followers, subscribers, and sales. So that is a huge pro. In terms of cons, uh, you are at the whim of Facebook or whatever platform you're using to run those paid ads. Uh, And as we've seen with the iOS 14 update, that has kind of thrown people's ads upside down. For me and my business, it took one product from ridiculously profitable to not even worth running ads for anymore. And we also don't know what the future is going to hold for platforms like Facebook ads that rely so heavily on that third-party data. So we don't really want to rely on paid ads to build a business. We want to make sure that the business is still sustainable without paid ads. And then paid ads are just like the cherry on top that makes everything grow a little bit faster. Uh, So yeah, if you can use those ads to build your email list, then that will protect you somewhat from uh, any changes that we might see or we are very likely to see. And I will be sharing a bit more around uh, some of those changes that are happening around privacy and data and what that means for us as business owners and marketers in the future. I'm actually thinking about starting a second podcast just for that. But anyway, that's another shiny idea. Okay, so some tips for paid ads. Know your numbers. That is the biggest tip. If you only take one tip from this, know your numbers. Not just how much you are spending and how many clicks you are getting, but how much it's costing you per lead, how much it's costing you per sale, whatever the relevant metrics there are, knowing what those are and how you are measuring success. So know those numbers and track them diligently. Uh, another tip would be that if you are running Facebook ads for a launch, I would launch that program, course, membership, whatever it is, first to your existing audience. Because the first time we launch something, we don't know if people are going to buy it or not. Um, and that's why I always say 
you know, launch it and then build it. But if you are investing money into Facebook ads and you are on a very tight budget, then you run the risk, unfortunately, of investing in ads and launching something that people don't want. So launch it to your existing audience first if you can. And use ads more in that launch to build your audience in the lead up rather than to sell. Uh, use Using those ads to build your list, your email list, so powerful. Do that rather than running any kind of brand awareness ads. And also spend some time learning how to run ads. Learn about the different types of ads. Learn how to set up the pixel. Learn all of that stuff because that is knowledge that will stand you in very good stead. Even if you don't know or don't think you need ads right now, it's a good skill to have in your back pocket so that when you've got that extra marketing budget, you can start to invest in it. Okay, question 15. What do you use to schedule all of your socials? I don't really. And honestly, um, this is probably not a great question to be asking. (laughs) It's a very common question. That's why I included it. But it doesn't really matter what platform you are using to schedule your socials. As long as it works with how you how you function, how your brain works. Uh, we use Planoly, but to be honest, I don't really schedule anything in advance. I post on social media when I feel like posting. Uh, and social isn't really a priority in my business anymore. Okay, question 16. What do you use as your project management system and when is a good time to start using one? So we use ClickUp, which is awesome. It's very reasonably priced. I think there's even a free tier. Uh, So we use that in the team and it's awesome. And then I work off my calendar. I have tried every planner. I have tried every single app. The one thing that I keep coming back to is just my Google calendar. So that one, (laughs) that one's magic. Uh, And yeah, start using them from the start because the earlier you can get these systems into place, then the easier it becomes when you start growing your team and bringing other people on board. Question 17. How do you get admin support? When do you decide when you need VA help? This question came up quite a lot. So the earlier you get support to do the low-level tasks or the admin tasks or the stuff that you're not good at, the faster you will be able to grow because suddenly now you have so much more time to spend doing the stuff that it is in your zone of genius, right? You are the expert in whatever it is that you do. You're probably not an admin expert. That's great. So you can start that early. You can get a VA just for a couple of hours a week. It's a low commitment. They're a contractor. They're not an employee. You're not locked into any number of hours. And that can get you into the practice of starting to systemize things in your business and starting to delegate things early on. Because the longer you do things yourself, the harder it becomes to delegate them. Take this from me. It has been a process for me to start getting things off my plate. And I know there've been times where my team have been frustrated because I'm holding on to tasks simply because I am the only one who has ever done them. And it's just so hard for me to explain to somebody else how to do it. So the earlier you can bring somebody else in, the better. Okay, question 18. How did you go from just you to having others help you? And are they working full-time or part-time for you? So my team is nobody's full-time, like I'm barely even full-time, uh, and I have one part-time employee and then contractors. So it is not a, it was a slow process and it will be a slow process if you're not good at delegating like I was, and that's okay. But over time, you start to systemize these things and you start to trust your team more and it becomes so much easier to let go of control once you understand how somebody works, once you understand what kind of instructions to give them. 
uh, it becomes a lot easier to let go of that control. Okay, question 19. How can I feel more confident about marketing and software operation? So with software, I mean, all of that tech stuff, I think a lot of the time when it seems really complicated, it's probably not the right tech for our needs. We are very fortunate now compared with like five years ago, there's so much more that is so user-friendly. And often we don't like to spend money on software because, you know, it's not as sexy as all of the other things we could spend money on. But we also don't realize like just how much of a difference the right software can have on your business. And then for marketing, how do you feel more confident about marketing? So there's a big misconception that you feel confident and then you do it. Unfortunately, that's backwards. And if I was still waiting to feel confident to start a podcast, to launch my first course, to put myself out there, to do anything, I would still be waiting. Uh, so you don't build confidence by just sitting there waiting. You build that confidence by doing. And the more you do it, the more confident you become. So you start by taking those baby steps and it's going to feel scary. Absolutely. But over time, it does become a lot easier. Now, I was never super confident putting myself out there. I was terrified. The first time I taught a webinar, I was so scared you could hear the shaking in my voice. I was always like the quiet, shy kid at school, and I am still reasonably a quiet person. But only by putting myself out there did I start to build that confidence to keep doing it. Question 20. How do you remain consistent? <laughs> I don't think I'm particularly consistent, to be honest. I have a lot of structure. So I know, okay, each week, three podcast episodes. Great. That's structure. Uh, each week, two or three emails to my list. Great. And connecting back to why I am doing it. I am helping people. When I'm putting content out there, it's not just so that I can grow my business. It's also so that I can help other people. So remembering that like every time I put a piece of content out there, it's helping somebody. It's helping at least one person. So then suddenly it becomes a lot easier to remain consistent. Okay. Question 21. Are you glad you did it? Am I glad I started a business? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, as I'm recording this, I'm about to go away to Europe for three and a half weeks, which wouldn't really have been possible if I was in a full-time job. Whereas now I can go to Europe, I can work while I'm there, I can take a bit of time off. I have in late August, I have a two-week rural off-the-grid hike planned. So yeah, it's given me all of the freedom that I wanted and so much more than I would have had had I stayed in my corporate job. Okay, question 22. Is it possible to build a profitable business selling relatively inexpensive products and courses? Yes, it is possible, but it's a lot more work and it requires a much bigger audience to make the same size profit than if you are selling higher priced products. The only exception is if you can really get that lifetime value up. So the amount of the lifetime value is the amount of money that one person spends in your business. So if you have five $50 products and on average, everyone buys three of those products, then your lifetime value is $150. So that is one way to build a profitable business with those inexpensive products and courses. You need to get them to come back and buy from you over and over again. But generally, I recommend to people with smaller audiences that they go for fewer products at higher prices. And with those fewer products, you generally will have fewer people buying them, which means you can focus on delivering the best experience possible. 
whether that's a course, a group program, however you want to structure that, it means you can give people more attention and help them to get the better result. It's a much easier, much more streamlined, low stress way to grow than having lots of inexpensive products. Okay, question 23. Is it possible to grow when offering a bespoke service like branding, not a strictly online business or course? It is possible to grow, but generally when you are offering a service, the main way to grow is going to be scaling with a team. And I chose not to do this. I used to work, I used to offer marketing services and I realized that I actually didn't want to spend my day managing a huge team. The other way you can scale is put your prices up. Uh, put your prices up and you start working with people who are paying a higher price. You can keep the same number of clients and bring in a higher revenue that way. But otherwise, your main way to grow is going to be scaling with team. Question number 24. When is the best time to start paid traffic? Best time to start paid traffic, I would say start as early as possible. But when you have some kind of lead magnet or system in place for building your email list so that you are capturing people, not just driving traffic to a website or to an Instagram post and they like your post or they click on your website, but then they just drop off. We would rather capture people so that we can keep marketing to them over and over again rather than just driving traffic once. Question 25, how do you undertake market research to ensure the product we're building will be something people buy. I think the best form of market research, and I've talked about this a lot in previous episodes, is launching it before you build it. So selling it, making sure that you have buyers before you invest significant time into actually building the product. In episode 502, I interviewed Kirsty Fanton and she talked a little bit about customer research. Go and listen to that episode. That will help you with the market research part. But yeah, I'm a big proponent of launching it before you build it because you can conduct the best market research in the world, but until somebody goes and spends that dollar on your product or however much your product costs, but you know, until they go and spend that first dollar on you, you don't know if it's actually something people will pay for. Question 26, what is the key to scaling a tiny offer? So for those of you who don't know, a tiny offer is something that's usually like, you know, $20, $30, $40 around there. They were all the rage in 2020. And in my experience, it worked really well for list building and it was profitable in 2020. But then post iOS 14 update, it doesn't really work anymore because ads got really expensive. It worked well in 2020 when ads were cheap and that's when tiny offers were all the rage. But now it's a little bit of an outdated strategy because you're going to be spending more to acquire a customer than you'll be making from the offer. I mean, that's that's general. That's a very generalized answer, I know. Um, you might still have a profitable tiny offer and what would make that profitable would be really, really good copy really, really good social proof at a really, really good offer. And then making sure that it converts well. And once you know that it converts, driving as much traffic as you can to it. And it's probably going to have to be paid traffic unless you have a massive audience or a steady flow of traffic from some other source. Like let's say you have a YouTube video that gets 100,000 downloads or 100,000 plays, whatever metric YouTube tracks a month. Then 
great, you can send them to your $7 product or your $20 product, and that will generate a nice little stream of income. But if you don't have that kind of traffic generating content and you don't have a big audience, then it's probably going to need to be paid ads. All right. Question 27. If you think you're the first one doing something in your industry, which I think I might be, what are the pros and cons of this and how do you navigate it? So the biggest con is probably that you have to spend longer educating people because they likely don't know as much about what you are doing yet. For example, if we think back, what, like 10 years now when paleo first came out, people first started talking about the paleo diet and nobody knew what it was. If you came out and said, hey, I'm a paleo dietitian or paleo nutritionist, people would have been like, what? What's that? Whereas now everyone knows what paleo is and it's very easy for people to self-select and say, yes, I'm a paleo person or no, I'm not. Um, the other cons are that you can't rely on insights from what your competitors are doing. Uh, you can't look and see what's working for them and what's not working for them, which in some ways is actually a good thing because it forces you to be in your own lane because there's literally nobody else in your lane. Uh, and it might be a little bit harder for you to get in front of the right people, find them and get in front of them because if there's no, uh, if, if there's nobody writing about this, if there's nobody recording podcasts about it, then you don't have anybody you can get in front of there. Some of the pros though are, you have no competitors. Like that is a very unique place to be. And that makes it really easy for you to stand out. And it makes it really easy for you to position yourself as the go-to, the only person, the the one, like the first person who was there. Uh, I would personally navigate it pretty much the same as any other business, except I would really leverage that go-to authority, the only, you're the only person. I would leverage that angle and I would incorporate that in your messaging, maybe talk to the media about it, get some, uh, get some content around that, get some media around that. Question 28. What systems do you have in place to help make your business run more easily and without as much daily input from you? Oh, yes. So I think the biggest thing that minimizes my daily input is team. I have my team on top of quite a lot of things, a lot of the ongoing stuff. For example, in Launch Magic, we have a Facebook group. I am so bad with Facebook groups. I would forget that the Facebook group didn't, I would forget that Facebook even existed uh, if not for my team. So I have a team who goes in there, they uh, they look at the questions. If there's a question they can't answer, they ask me and I answer that. Um where I would look at for you though is I would say, okay, well, where are you spending all your time? And you might need to use some time tracking tool to find out where your time is going and then looking at each of those things and thinking, okay, can we replace this? And do we need to replace it with a person or with a system or with a particular piece of software? I have spent a lot of time putting the software into place so that my business can run essentially without me. My email list builds itself. I write and create all of my content, but if I'm taking time off, I write and create the content ahead of time and then schedule it. My products pretty much sell themselves now, uh, except for, you know, Launch Magic, which I only run twice a year. And because that's a higher price product, I launch that twice per year. And that's great. I structure when those launches are going to be around what else I want to do in that year. Uh, the only service I offer is VIP days. And I did this intentionally because I didn't want to have that ongoing commitment 
uh, I wanted to be able to take a month off in between launch magic rounds, for example. So I built those offerings intentionally so that I could take time off when I wanted to. And it might be for you that maybe you do need to look at how your offerings are structured, how your services are structured, and thinking about how you can more intentionally restructure those to build in that flexibility that you want to. Question 29. How did you shift from agency type model to online business without taking a huge financial hit? I did take a pretty big financial hit at the start. There were many months in 2018 that I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to make my mortgage payment this month, uh, but somehow made it happen. Uh, so I did take a big financial hit. What happened, though, was I let go of my clients one by one. So I didn't fire all of my clients. I let go of one client, which I said, OK, great, this frees up four hours of my time this month. How can I spend that four hours in a way that is going to help me to move this online business forward? And then as I started to replace that income, I had built the confidence to let go of the next client and on and on and on. So it was a gradual transition more than a, I fired everyone and then pivoted completely and started from day one. Okay. Question 30. Lucky last. Is there a way to launch multiple mini courses without the huge launch strategy? So the huge launch strategy, we think of the huge launch as like this massive push, this massive hype building thing. But the actual strategy behind the launch isn't in the hype. It's in the content. It's in the audience growth. It's in the nurturing them to the point where they're going to be ready to buy from you. And this is applicable to mini courses as well as it is for big courses. And yes, you can absolutely launch mini courses without doing a big launch, without doing the 60 to 90 days of content. If you already have an audience and if you are consistently sharing content to them, And if they already know what they need to know to be ready to buy from you. Otherwise, yeah, you do need to have that launch strategy. The second and subsequent times that you launch it, that becomes easier because now you've got this audience that are used to consistently hearing from you. Uh, So yes, the launch strategy is not just about having that webinar and having that, you know, that, that perfect content and the hype and everything. It's about getting people to the right place that they need to be to be ready to buy from you. All right. That is it for this huge episode. I apologize if I've been a little bit sniffly in today's episode. I think I've got a little bit of a cold. Uh, and it's, I can't believe we've been talking for 45 minutes. I haven't, I think this is my longest solo episode ever. <laughs> if you have any friends you think might have some of the questions I've answered in this episode, please do let them know about this show. Hit the share button and share it with them. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, Hit the plus button in Apple Podcasts, hit the follow button in Spotify. It just means that you get brand new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app when they are released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I will be doing another one or two of these Q&A episodes in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned for those. I have one coming up just on audience growth. I will have one on podcasting. Oh, you know what? I'll have three. I'll have a third one on launching digital products. So stay tuned for those. If you haven't left a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts yet, please do take two minutes to do that. It's something I read and it means a lot to me because I spend a lot of time creating these podcast episodes and making them good for you. So please do leave a rating and a review if you can. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time.